And so if you know someone who is in that situation, don't just say, here's a number that can help you. Sit down with them, say, can I call this number with you or for you? Can I make that connection for you? Because I'm not Jesus and I'm not a therapist, but I sure am your friend. Well, welcome back to another installment of the Shepherd's Voice with Archbishop Lucas. Archbishop, good to be with you. Thank you. It's good to be with you as well. And uh, we're joined uh, this time by a special guest, Whitney Bradley. Hello. Whitney, could you give us a little bit of a uh, description of what your position is here at the Archdiocese and, and what that work entails? Sure. So I am the coordinator of the Respect Life Apostolate, and that's under the Family Life Office at the Archdiocese. And my work takes on a few different roles. So there are some um, major events that I tend to coordinate, uh, most notably the March for Life. But then beyond that, I spend a lot of my time with lay leaders in the parishes and um, their parish pro-life teams and the work that they're doing to promote pro-life in their community and helping them be more dynamic within their community with that work. Okay, great. And so the, you mentioned the March for Life. That's the one in Washington, D.C.? Uh, the one in D.C., yes. No. <laughs> so you coordinate the whole thing? Kind of. So our archdiocese will hit probably 9 to 11 buses this year, and half of those are coordinated out of parishes and schools. So, for example, SCUT takes two to three buses of their own. Uh, Columbus is looking, SCOTUS in Columbus and St. Bonaventure is looking at taking two buses. St. Peter's takes one. And they have varying levels of support from me. Um, I definitely am in touch with and conferring with and providing support, um, but I don't manage their buses. And then I'll have five to six buses this year um, from all over the archdiocese of schools and parishes that can't necessarily fill a bus by themselves that I manage and we travel to DC together. Right. And Archbishop, you go there every year. Uh, yeah, well, I, I try every year. I don't get there every year. I try when I can to participate in, in the March for Life in Washington. I'm always very proud of the number of participants from our archdiocese and proud of the commitment uh, that their participation uh, reflects. I'm very grateful to uh, Whitney for, for your good work. Uh, in, in this regard, this um, month is Respect Life Month throughout the dioceses of the, the United States, and so that's part of the reason for our visit. It probably should take a step back and just mention, although it, it should go without saying, but I think it, it's important to, to mention, that the Respect Life Apostolate and the work that uh, we do in the church, both reflected in our prayer, but also in, in our work together to respect the dignity of human life, it's right at the, the heart of our Catholic understanding of, of God's plan for us and for our human family. We are aware of uh, some threats to the dignity of human life, which we can uh, talk about here. But the important thing to, to do, is, I think, is start with God and, and God's loving plan reflected in creation all around us, but reflected in a, in a particular and unique way in each uh, human person that God creates lovingly in his own divine image. So it's really, I think, for, for any of us, a, a, a privilege uh, to be able to highlight that plan of God. And I'm really grateful to Whitney and those who work with her throughout the Archdiocese to make sure that, that we do keep our attention focused on, on this important aspect of our faith and of our discipleship. You mentioned, you mentioned that as a, as a part of our discipleship, as a core of Christian identity, is this understanding of, of human dignity. 
how does that manifest in, in the work you're doing and the relationships you have with people at parishes, Whitney? Within the parish, how am I helping people first understand their own worth as a human in respect to the work that they're, they're doing? Um, yeah, that's a really broad question, but um, I do think it uh, kind of gets at the heart of some of the things that we're talking about in this diocese, which I think are really beautiful. And it's to say that uh, while we look at all of the good work of living mercy that our parishes and the people in our parishes do, um, and we have some pro-life teams that I could tell you about that are doing some really incredible things. But before I think they could reach that point of doing those incredible things, they had to pause and come together as a community and say, first, I need to recognize my own worth so that I can uh, share that with others. And how do I recognize my own worth? Um, it's, it's through the people and it's through the body of Christ that have loved me. So knowing Jesus, knowing his heart for me, and so, for example, one of the things that we ask all of our teams to do, if, even if they're only meeting for an hour, is to spend 10 to 15 minutes in prayer together. And not just a rote prayer, um, as beautiful as the prayers even that Jesus gave us, like the Our Father, are. Um, you can't enter into the mystery uh, if you first haven't had time to enter into that mystery. And so uh, we say, you're here together as the body, pray together. And so we ask that it be a, an intentional prayer, something where they spend time sharing what they've received. And then at the end, if they want, they can end with like a rote prayer. So that's just one example. Pretty much everybody has heard the term pro-life, but what do you mean by a pro-life group at a parish? And do they all have them? Not all the parishes have them, no. Um, that would be an eventual goal, but right now I'm, you know, we just work with what's available. And then I've seen it spreading as enthusiasm spreads in one parish. You see it picking up in more and more parishes. Um, what was your original question? Just, just, just what, what is a pro-life group? Oh, yeah. So that can, it, can, it can look different everywhere. So at St. Matthew's in Bellevue, uh, they're basically a life runners group and they and a sidewalk advocates for life group. And so they come together and they have their meetings, but they spend most of their time uh, on the sidewalk outside of Carhartt's abortion facility praying and advocating for the women. But then you have other groups who... You know, they're just trying to figure out what are they all about, either in the rural because there's not an abortion facility in their back door, or uh, another example would be St. Stephen the Martyr. They're just restarting their pro-life group, and they are trying to figure out um, what what is something that we can do for and within the community uh, to serve life, and they want to make sure that it's in line with their parish's vision. And so we're just spending some time right now even kind of digesting what all of that means and, and brainstorming together. And so um, sometimes a group will take on a particular activity and sometimes uh, they'll just kind of every couple of months do or be involved with something within the parish or in the outside community. The spectrum is large. <laughs> parish groups can themselves and, and then they can assist their fellow parishioners in seeing how the church's respect life message can really be integrated into the life of their family, their their neighborhood, their relationships, up their their parish. There'd be very few families, uh, I would say, in, in our archdiocese who don't face some kind of challenging life questions sooner or later, often sooner. 
So it may have to do with an unplanned pregnancy or, or difficult pregnancy. It may have to do with uh, someone who's critically ill and there are questions about the kind of treatment that would be appropriate and in harmony with the gospel that, that uh, someone uh, might, might be able to participate in. We're all going to get to the end of life. And there are many uh, challenges these days really to the life and dignity of the human person in that last chapter, that last phase of, of life on this earth. One of the things that we're able to do as uh, as parishioners and, and as family members and, and neighbors is to really see to it that nobody is isolated. If it's a mother with a, a challenging pregnancy or if it's someone in a sickbed or the person who has to make decisions about those those situations, that we are ready in the name of Jesus to kind of come alongside, to support them with our prayers, to support them with meals or with company, with encouragement, whatever it is. We don't want to intrude on, on anybody's life. Uh, I'm afraid sometimes we look at, at our pro-life activity all in terms of programs or we think this is you know, this is a huge problem in our country, uh, the lack of respect for life, and we can't have much of an effect. But uh, I uh, just think it's, uh, I've, I've said this in other places, you know, as we look at our pastoral vision for the Archdiocese and we talk about living mercy, if both as a church, but also as individual Catholics, we would be known for mercy. So that if there were somebody near us who were struggling with a, an issue or a temptation, you know, against the dignity of human life, that they might think that they could turn to you or, or me and they would be received mercifully. That, they, that the fact that they were struggling wouldn't be a source of condemnation on our part or, or, or judgment because they have choices and temptations in front of them perhaps and and anybody who faces those things alone is liable to, to do something rash and something that will be harmful either to themselves or someone else, and that would be, cause much regret later on. I totally agree. I, um, one of the things that uh, we've noticed in doing pro, the pro-life movement is this tendency towards programs or towards doing the work. And so if you're a woman who has your whole life heard from maybe your youth minister or your pastor, you know, uh, sex outside of marriage is wrong, don't do it. And then you find yourself pregnant. The last person that you're actually going to go to is that person who's been telling you that. And so finding ways to bridge that gap has kind of been, I think, what we're focusing on. Um, and it comes down to before we can live mercy, we have to encounter Jesus equipped disciples, part of our vision. How do I know Jesus myself? And then how do I leverage the influence I have with other people to bring them to Jesus so that when they find themselves in that particular position, perhaps they're not going to go to their youth minister or their priest, but they'll come to me, their neighbor, and getting people to to switch that viewpoint from doing more work to being with more people or building more relationships or drawing others in. In a sense, I, I mean, what I'm hearing is you're saying in the work you're doing and in the conversations you're having with people who are very passionate about abortion issues and life issues and standing up for the dignity of the human person as the, according to, to church doctrine, you're emphasizing person-to-person contact over other things that might promise. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you have a pamphlet, don't just put it in the, 
you know, in the narthex. The literature uh, If you know someone who needs it, hand it to them, you know, but with a conversation, don't just say you could use this, you know. Um, with your phone number, maybe, right? Right, right. Or, you know, if, if you know someone who's post-abortive, who's been hanging on to a Project Rachel or Rachel's Vineyard number for up like two years or, or more. You hear these stories all the time of women who have had numbers for help um, with their grief that they are going through after abortion and they never call. And um, that's because the call is really scary. You don't know who's on the other line. You don't know how they're going to receive you. Um, you're living in a culture that's telling you that you're not even allowed to have this grief. And so if you know someone who is in that situation, don't just say, here's an number that can help you sit down with them say can I call this number with you or for you can I make that connection for you because I'm not Jesus and I'm not a therapist but I sure am your friend and I think that's just where it starts you know we're part of this body together so 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 <laughs> so we move in a way that's different than I, I don't know it sounds I mean different than I don't want to say simply activism because I don't want to say that it's that's not bad. It has its place, right? So, I mean, so there's a place for act, activity and, and, mm -hmm. and uh, being more active, particularly in, in terms of trying to shape public policy and to create structures in, in the community that, that speak about the, the truth of, of the dignity of, of human life. But what Whitney is saying is really very consistent with the vision that um, St. John Paul had when he wrote this beautiful encyclical letter, The Gospel of Life. So he kind of put the our pro-life views and, and efforts and, and work in that context of, of evangelization, really. And, and so we know that, just as you're describing, evangelization is very personal. We're introducing people to Jesus. We're, we're not just telling people stuff or preaching a set of truths. It's, it's important that we understand the truth and that we be willing to, to share it. But we know that originally the gospel was shared person to person and that the, the person who was sharing the light and the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ was able to have a, an influence for good on the person near him or, uh, or her. So we want to focus our efforts in, in that way uh, in terms of the gospel of life here in this archdiocese and to think that you know there, there isn't just a solution that we want to offer to a person for his or her problem, but we do want to extend ourselves and offer a relationship. Right. It's not a solution we're offering. It's a person and it's Jesus, and it's ourself. Right, and because the Lord has called us, we're baptized, we are alive in him, we're members of the body of Christ, we are able to bring him to others, and then he promises that we'll see him in others so that we'll, we'll meet him there. So that if we are uh, in an encounter, a relationship uh, for someone who might be, with someone who might be struggling with, with a life question, or the grief from having made a... Um, a bad decision uh, uh, earlier on, we, we believe that, that there will be an exchange of gifts there and, a, and an exchange of a, a deepening uh, sense of the, of the presence of Jesus in that moment. What we know for sure is that Jesus isn't afraid of that situation. And when Jesus looks at you or me, or when he looks at someone who maybe has made a, a decision against the gift of, of human life and dignity, all he wants for us, uh, for that person, is that we be free, that we be forgiven, that we experience it is, is mercy. And so that gives us great confidence and joy in being with others who maybe don't share our views to start with, or, or someone who might be struggling or suffering, because we know how much Jesus loves that person. We can kind of be with them patiently, respectfully. And it makes bridging the divide 
so much easier. It's no longer us against them. You know, it's just us. And we may disagree, but we know we have the truth and the love of Jesus on our side. So we mm-hmm. get to offer that to them. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it's really, again, it's a privilege that, that's given to us in our time. It's, it seems ironic and backwards. Perhaps we'd rather have, we'd rather be living in a time, in a time when there's no abortion, there's no um, violent attacks on human person, no attempts at euthanasia or any such thing. But I'm not sure there's ever been such a time. So it hasn't always been legal, protected by law to do some of those things. But sadly, because of the effects of sin and, and the power of, of temptation, we're liable to act in fear. Uh, uh, or shame, and especially if we're isolated and, and no one is, is supporting us. So the fact now that some of these ills are so rampant in, in our culture just means that we have a gift to bring to our brothers and sisters that is not being offered by many others. And as you said, we we have the truth. That's God's gift to us. That's not a matter of pride for us, but that gives, again, gives us a source of strength and a source of, of love, I, I think, out of which we can approach others. I was listening to a story recently, and uh, somebody was talking about this this very same problem. As you said, people in isolation, fear, shame take over often when they're faced with a dire circumstance. And as you're both you know, reflecting on this experience of, of walking with people, walking with people inside the church as well, that it's only out of this experience of love that a person actually has hope that is credible, that's stable, sustainable, I don't, you know, whatever word we want to assign that something that lasts in the face of crisis. Can you share with us any of those? You mentioned you've got some, I'm sure you've got a bunch of stories of, of people having some of these kinds of experiences, but... We're still in the baby steps of this kind of transition between um, just do an activity <laughs> and versus uh, have a relationship. So I have great hope for some of the things that we're going to do. I know St. Gerald's is going to start a program called Embrace Grace, It's a small group for um, pregnant single mothers, but it's really a program of healing and evangelization at the same time. And so it's really just meant to bridge the divide between those women who do get pregnant and don't want to approach the church, uh, but knowing that the church is where they will receive uh, that hope and freedom that you were just talking about. And so um, it gives them an opportunity to come together with people who have been through these experiences and come out the other side um, and and to receive healing through a small group community that openly talks about Jesus and prays. And so that hasn't started yet, but I'm very hopeful. Um, and I know there are other other denominations in Omaha that are doing that program and have seen good things come out of it. So I'd also like to just raise up um, some of the supportive crisis pregnancy centers and have a couple of homes for moms who are have n- newborn kids or who are who are expecting. And in those places, we experience the, uh, two things together. So we don't we don't want to say that being in relationship and doing some kind of activity or offering practical help that those are that those are somehow opposed. So I think we see that very beautifully in these contexts where a woman is able to come and, and to meet someone or a group who will be very welcoming and, and respective and, and supportive, but also have some practical ways to, to assist them. Maybe it's in, in terms of mentoring or uh, job training or child care, medical 
needs, you know, whatever it might be. So that's been going on, you know, in our community for, for a long time. And, and uh, that work goes on somewhat quietly out of respect for the people who are, who are being served, but it's really very powerful. It's a beautiful aspect of the church's pro-life work. I'm happy to hear what Whitney is saying about the fact that there might be, uh, or it looks like there will be some, uh, the beginnings of, of some supportive groups like this within within parishes. So all, all of our parishes have resources and resourceful people who, if they come together to, to support those who are in need, they'll, they'll figure out how to help them meet those needs. Yeah, it's really, it, it's about finding those people is kind of the issue. Like. I guess we've just had groups who have like set up the resources and then they're like, okay, where are you? You know, and I want, I want to serve you. And they're not, they're not finding them. They're not reaching them. And so we're, it's, it's in that relationship that we bridge the divide. It's for both. It's the necessity of providing something that these women and men and families need um, and getting them actually to the resources that they need, and that's where it takes the person. Yeah, and that's how we we can help equip our parishioners as we um, share the information about the services or the help that is available, and then just prep people a little bit to see that you know that would be the best way for someone to access that is if you would offer to accompany accompany the person and say that I'm not sure what what's all going to be involved here, but I'll stick with you. And, you know, if you need me tomorrow or the next day, I'll, I, I can be available too. So very often, as in other aspects of our evangelization, often the ordinary Catholic figures, well, maybe I'm not supposed to be doing that, or I, I don't really, I'm not the one, or I don't know how to. Right. I don't know how to, I think is a, is a big thing. And so I would just encourage people, like, it's really okay to say, I don't know the answer, but we'll figure it out together. And then go back to your parish. Your parish secretary, your priest is going to have those resources and they'll they'll help you then find the next person who can be of most help. So yeah, it's totally okay to just say, I don't know, um, but I'm with you in that lack of knowledge. Yeah, well, and you're willing to be helpful too. And uh, you know, from, from your position, you can't help everybody, but you, you're, you're already do, doing a lot. We have some information on our our and website, I, I think, that could help a parishioner or a pastor get started with where to look. Or Yeah, and my number's up there. Give me a call. Like, I am not a en- walking encyclopedia, but I... But you know people. But I know people, and I know resources, and we'll figure it out together. So There it is in practice. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the resources to connect people to. Are there any particular ones you'd want to highlight right now? So I would first point out Project Rachel or Rachel's Vineyard, and those are, um, one is a call line, uh, Project Rachel, where you can receive help and healing after abortion, and this is for men, women, it can be grandparents, um, anybody who is feeling the grief of an abortion, and then they will uh, hook you up with like a counselor um, and walk you through, just depending on where you are in your grief, walk you through that process. Uh, Rachel's Vineyard is a retreat that you can go through that happens um, in several dioceses in the area several times a year. And then the abortion pill reversal is if you have gone to the abortion facility and taken the abortion pill, it actually can be reversed uh, within 78 hours. Uh, if you start the process, there's still hope. Uh, and so it's a number to call that will link you immediately to a local provider who will start that process with you. And so I would say those three things are really key. Um, and even if every parish would 
keep a consistent corner in their bulletin um, with those numbers because you never know like what a woman will take home and how long it'll take them to call or receive that help. But and then any final words of encouragement for those people who are you know looking to say I'm passionate about this issue I I, I want to help what can I do to help build culture of life we'll have a chance I think at some later day to, to talk about some of the particular issues and and how we can you know try to have an influence on voting and public policy and and so forth but I think the point of this conversation has been to offer encouragement uh, to, um, to to our people to to think that, that there's something close to home that's possible for me and for our, our parish. That will not be overbearing or intrusive into the life of another person, but we, where we could really have the opportunity to, to be supportive. So we want to educate ourselves to the help that's available in the community, for, particularly for, for um, someone who might be contemplating abortion or who has already made that decision and is burdened with the, with the grief of that decision. So that when we might uh, encounter someone or a family that's uh, in that situation, we, we would be able to connect them with some help, but, but to, to be part of, the, part of that journey with them and, and to let them know, like, not in an, in an intrusive way, but in a, a supportive way, so that no one is isolated. Uh, isolation is the work of the devil. Uh, communion is the work of, of Jesus. And so to, to be with, with our brothers and sisters who might be tempted or struggling, uh, um, as we all do from time to time in various ways. Uh, but th- th- that's a contribution we can all make. And, and in a sense, Jesus is expecting us to do it. Amen. Well, thank you both for the conversation. Uh, Whitney, I want to thank you for the work you're doing. Again, continue to let us know in ways we can assist you in getting the word out. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. And uh, God bless you all. Good. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Shepherd's Voice, a podcast of the Archdiocese of Omaha. For more information, visit archomaha.org slash podcast. <laughs>